Amy, uh, thanks so much for, for talking with me. Amy uh, Gullickson, Acting uh, Coordinator and Senior Lecturer at the Center for Program Evaluation at uh, Melbourne Graduate School of Education. Thanks for joining me here. And uh, I came across your, your article um, on sort of definition, defining evaluation, the, the name of the article, the, the whole elephant, right, alluding to the to the uh, story about sort of the nature of reality and being able to perceive it and seeing really uh, that we uh, all maybe see just different parts of the elephant, right? Or, or perceive it, feel different yep. parts of the elephant is the, is the story. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, I wanna read this and also I'd like to talk with you. And so I really, yep. really appreciate it. Um, what's, let's start off, uh, what is the best definition of value, evaluation of evaluation that you've been able to come up with? Sure. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to yeah. acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional keepers of the land where I am here in Brunswick in Australia. That's a habit I've gotten into since living here. Um, and so I'd like to acknowledge them and also uh, any Indigenous people who might listen to the recording and uh, pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Ah, so then I'll answer your question. It's just, it's, uh, I've, this work that we'll talk about later, I'm sure, that we've been doing on evaluation education and the stuff I've been doing on competencies with the Australian Evaluation Society has really emphasized to me how much indigenous cultures know about evaluation and how little of that we actually tap and use in our in our work. So um, anyway, the, well, the best definition was your question, right? Uh, so I think the, well, the one that's in the, the paper that you reference, I of course am partial to because it's mine, but it's really Michael Scriven plus uh, Jim Sanders and a bunch of other people. But it, it, I think any definition of evaluation has to include explicit reference to values and valuation, because otherwise we miss that part of it that's um, unique, I think, to evaluation. So um, it's also important for us to think about the implications of the definition. So if you look through the literature and in the beginning of that paper, I, I think I have four or five different definitions. And each of those has different implications for what the task is. And then that has implications for what people need to know and be able to do to accomplish the task. And when evaluation gets defined as just basically like applied social science, uh, then we miss out on all that valuation stuff, which I think is at the heart of what we have to offer as a, as a transdiscipline and as a profession in terms of actually making the world a better place, which I think we'll talk about later. But the, if we don't talk about what people value or if we don't talk explicitly about the values that are underlying the programs that we're evaluating or um, the, basically the assumptions about what makes something good, then yeah. we're, we're reinforcing things that are, are have often proven not to be. So if, if you look like in the US, um, you know, I, we just did a session with the International Society for Evaluation Education, Vidya Shankar just did a presentation on what does it look like if you accept the definitions of um, the system and the system has been oppressing people like African-Americans, you know, forever, and you just operate within those definitions and you don't ask people about what's, what's, what the values are that underlie that, then evaluation just reinforces that. And I think there's been a hesitancy to embrace that part of evaluation for years for all kinds of different reasons, which you can read about 
variety of papers by other people and a little bit in some of the stuff that we've done um, with the Evaluation Journal of Australasia in the last year. Um, but when we skip it, we're just not as effective, I think, and, and we're in dangerous territory. So I, I'm, I don't, I, like, I, of course I like mine, which is the generation of a credible and systematic determination of merit worth and or significance of an object through the application of defensible criteria and standards to, to demonstrably relevant empirical facts. So it has to be that value bit and it has to be the facts bit um, and the combination of those, I think, to be a good definition of evaluation that helps us move the field forward. There's lots of varieties of that out there, but the ones that don't include valuation, I think are dangerous. Can I ask you, so in today in the social sciences, behavioral sciences, let's say for instance, um, people doing research, let's say a psychologist doing research on you know, cognitive psychology, whatever it is, what, what is the piece that, that, they, uh, that, that, that we bring that uh, uh, they don't um, to their work? Um, I, can you, do you have an example or can you draw the distinction so it's super clear? Because I think a lot of people, well, first off, many um, who are not involved in evaluation, methodologists, others will say uh, research and evaluation are the same thing. What's the difference? They will. Yeah. You know, and uh, as, as an example. So maybe an example. Maybe an example or, or just kind of go into that a little bit more so you can really understand that distinction, yeah. Yep, um, well, I think this is a really common issue that we face and, and, and it's something that you'll walk into with every client or if you're, you know, if like your students, you're just somebody who's, who's working in an organization that might do evaluation, like you're gonna have to have this conversation. Or, or not, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a, a, up to the person to decide. But the, for me, the difference is research asks, and you'll see this from a lot of different authors, like what's so, so wh what, you know, like what's the P value if you like, how big was the change? Um, and can that be, uh, you know, attributed to whatever the intervention was? But evaluate, evaluation asks, so what? Like, did it, did it actually reach the people who were most important? Was it big enough to make a difference? Like if, if it was a p-value, does, does that p-value actually mean anything? You know, did, what were the real life changes that occurred as a part of, or as a result of that intervention, whatever it was? So I think the, the so what aspect's really important. And it's the understanding. I mean, if you, if you take an evaluative perspective on it, you're not just accepting <clears throat> the values that are inherent in that social science perspective, you know, which might be founded in different understandings of the reality. So dif touching different parts of the elephant. You're also saying, you know, there, like there might be a variety of ideas about how reality is represented that are relevant to that intervention. And, and the evaluator's job is to understand that that's possible and to acknowledge it, and then to understand that there's values associated with each of those different perspectives. And I think our job is also to ensure that the voices and the values of the most powerful people, who, like if you're working in international developments, usually the funders, who are typically from a, not the country where the intervention's happening, right. uh, that the, the values of the people who are actually supposed to be benefiting from the intervention, are included like if it doesn't actually help them in a way that that matters to them is it really help and so i think that's what evaluation brings to the conversation it's not just 
So it's some, um, Scriven talks about evaluation being something more than social science research methods. And part of it is that understanding of the so what and understanding how you get to that answer. So Jane Davidson's book, um, well, like all of her writing really talks about that and, and has specific methods that you can use to be able to do that in a way that makes the reasoning clear and makes the claims um, visible and shows what they're based on so that people can't say, well, that's just subjective. You know, it's like your own opinion, which is the other thing that evaluation gets tagged with all the time. Is and it that? So be, yeah, sorry. Oh, as I say, so being able to be explicit about the reasoning and the process by which you arrive at that, so what, like, what about this was good and why should we believe it? I think is really important for us as evaluators or people who are engaging with evaluation, either as clients or um, stakeholders. Got it. Okay. The so if you you know is it because evaluation is focused around a particular intervention that's really happening in a in a setting uh, typically? I mean, like traditionally, like so if you have let's say a a study, uh, say a typical research study where you're looking uh, like a, a clinical trial, looking sure. at uh, two different types of interventions, right? Like maybe uh, talk therapy, one type versus another, as we've seen many times. Yeah. Um, you know, it, research, they'll, they'll focus really on the intervention, right? And and did, was was there a, a difference to look at internal validity, external validity, you know, some of those things, but they won't, won't be focused on this, a lot of the things, what you're, what you're talking about, sort of the application and the benefits and the values of the the people that are involved at the sites and and the 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 uh, the, the funders and so forth is that part of what you're you're uh, talking about there or can you clear maybe help me with it there a little bit yeah so okay so if we're talking about like talk therapy versus like EMDR for you instance did, yeah, well, yeah anything yeah yeah so um like you could bring an evaluation lens to that question as well I think the um, and it would look like, were there side effects, you know, were there other things that happened alongside the, the just what happened as a result of the treatment for the person, for their family? Um, what was the, what's the difference in the experience for the therapist? You know, is it more rewarding for them to do talk therapy and, and listen, or is it more, have, did some of them experience it to, because if you do something like EMDR, there's less sort of interaction with the person because they're working stuff out in their head. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, does that feel less rewarding to the therapist? And if so, what does that mean about how willing the therapist is to engage in that kind of activity? And so there's, there's so what's for all the different stakeholders in that space. And so evaluation can, I think, help research be more rich because the story isn't just about that p-value. Of, of better or worse kind of direct results. It's also about the follow-on things and the, and whether or not how good those were and were they good enough? You know, like in the States, somebody is gonna pay for that therapy. And is that, you know, is it sort of value for money in, mm -hmm. the, in someone's mind? You know, it was the benefit enough that they would come back and do it again if it costs them out of pocket money? And is the benefit enough on the other side is the benefit enough if we think of like veterans that that kind of thing should just be paid for because the 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 response is so significantly better 
you know, using something like EMDR as opposed to talk therapy, that that's something that should just be covered by VA coverage. So it can have, does that help? Yeah, it does. It does. does. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets to those kind of questions get to like, is making the judgment, well, is this something that's good or not? Like in the truest sense, like in in the deep sense, contextual sense, right? Yes. Why is it important to have the clear definition of evaluation? Uh, did you, let's see, and uh, what are the possible benefits of this? I'm wondering the extent to which you, ha- you answered that already, but is there something you could add to that? Yeah. Sure, well, I, I do think it's really important. And uh-huh. uh, I think definitions matter all the time, like in every aspect of what we're doing, the way that we define things <clears throat> determines how we treat them, basically. Like in Australia, and I think also in the US, Aboriginal people weren't defined, well, in the US, in here in Australia, they weren't, defined as humans until the 70s. And so the way they were treated was completely determined by that government definition of mm-hmm. Aboriginals. And so, so for evaluation, it's the same. Like if, if evaluation is just applied research, then you, then you must stay out of this kind of, so what space, because it's not allowed. It's subjective, it's biased, it's, you know, like there's all kinds of things that have been said about it. But if we embrace that definition as including valuation, then this becomes our job. And and then that means we have a lot of things to learn in terms of competencies that have not been really as well developed as all the research side of the competencies have been. Like, you know, and if you look at any education program, most of the coursework is gonna be about research methods, which is important. Like being able to do attribution and Mm -hmm. causality as you know, like that's not irrelevant, it's important, but it's not the whole thing. So, um, you know, I think part of this is us deciding as a field what we want to claim as our business, you know, for, for those that are moving towards professionalization and what we don't. And I'm, I guess my position is that we should be claiming valuation. And that's been a, a, a slender thread throughout the, um, history of evaluation literature, I guess. And um, I'm trying to just make it bigger. I don't know what, weave it into more places. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So h- how do you uh, describe what evaluation is to non-evaluators? Like, what sure. Do you, yeah, what's your... My Uber spiel? Your Uber spiel. Right? Gonna, yes, because I, every Uber <laughs> driver and every hairdresser says, so what do you do? Yeah. Um, we only- so I, right? I, yes. I, I, I might have to steal this though. But oh, you're welcome to it. Well, then you can tell me yours. The um, so what I tend to say is, I work primarily with social programs, so people who want to make the world a better place, and they want to understand if what they're doing actually contributes to that. And so I teach people how to help those people understand whether or not what they're doing is making the, the difference they mean it to make. That's pretty good. I like that one. Um, I like <laughs> what do you say? I, well, I just, yeah, I just had to give it today because I was just on a webinar with people who had no idea right. what evaluation was. It was a technology-related webinar and um, or a, a class. And so I usually say something like, uh, I try. I work with people who, uh, who run programs that are usually like to benefit society, like health, education, human yep. service kind of yep. programs, and try to help them figure out if their programs are working or, and how to make them better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. I was just thinking and talking to you about this and answering your question that I don't really emphasize the, like, how good is it bit of it, which I probably should considering. (laughs) 
<laughs> what I'm just saying. Yeah. Right, and all these things. Uh, so how do evaluator competencies relate to how one might define evaluation? Oh, yeah, oh, right. I think that's this is central. So what you see in, like I said, what you see in a lot of master's programs, for instance, yeah. is a huge emphasis on methods, research methods, which is really important. And I don't want to um, devalue that. But what you don't see is it, like I, I teach evaluative synthesis. So in one of the, the, we call them subjects, but one of the courses that I teach, we, we, we talk about the practice of evaluation and we talk about how do you take facts and put them together with criteria and standards to come up with a, was this good enough judgment? And the, the place that that tends to be taught is in professional development. Like if you do a, a master class with Jane Davidson on rubrics, which I think she's actually just done one, like an online one, so everybody could go do it, which I would totally recommend. Oh, um, okay. She'll show you how to do that. But quite often in formal education, it doesn't happen at all. And if, if you look in the competencies, like the US competencies, there's a, a tiny bit of reference to kind of values and, and critical thinking, but it's really small in comparison to all the stuff that's in there about research methods. And so um, I, I was just teaching a class on developing evaluation capacity and we were looking at the original competency set um, that Gene King and Laurie Stevin and, and their colleagues developed. And in between the first version and the second version, they talk about how their reasoning was such was so kind of infused throughout the whole thing that they actually just took it out as an explicit thing because they felt like it was part of, of all of the different things that happened in there. But the result of that, I think, is it just got skipped. And so there's no like evaluative reasoning competency because the assumption is that if you do all those things, you're doing evaluative reasoning. But the ultimate result has been people are doing research. With, may, with maybe or maybe not uh, any kind of emphasis on the valuing piece. And so for me, I think if we're gonna be distinct, like if, you, if, if in the long term, like 50 years from now, evaluation is gonna be a, a distinct profession that people claim and understand as distinct, then the valuing has to be a part of that. And then that means that if you're gonna say you're an evaluator, that you have to have some fundamental skills about valuing so that those competencies have to reflect that and so um in the paper that we're talking about I, I drew like a little model of what would it look like if we put the evaluation stuff in the middle that everybody has and then there's other things that you may or may not have because right. evaluation is super hard and you're not going to have all like 90 however many competencies it's inconceivable so um yeah it's I, for me it has a direct connection to what's what we say are the competencies evaluators should have and then for those of us who teach them what do we emphasize and so yeah makes a big difference I think is the short answer okay the uh, the best way to learn how to do evaluation what would you say that is um, that's a great uh, that's a great question it's um there's not a, an, a good answer so this is, um, I helped found an organization called the International Society for Evaluation Education that's trying to answer that. Because we did, um, some colleagues and I did an article in evaluation and program planning that I think came out in 2019 where we just did a, we, we used the SIP model and we looked at evaluation education 
and said, okay, so what do we know about context? What do we know about inputs? What do we know about processes? What do we know about products? Like what kind of research been, has been done in those places? It wasn't a literature review, but it was more like a scan. And it was me and Janet Clinton, who's the previous director of our center and has like 40 years of evaluation experience and Gene King and uh, John Lavelle, who's been doing a bunch of research in that space. And so what basically what we discovered was in, in comparison to other fields, you know, like psychology or sociology or nursing, medical profession, in terms of educating people to do what we say evaluation is, we know almost nothing. <laughs> like, so tiny. Um, Jean and Sandra, you just did a literature review of all the stuff that's been published about evaluation education. And I think, oh, I used to know the numbers of this right off the top of my head, but it was like maybe 60 some articles in the life span of, of, of the 40 or 50 years of evaluation um, in comparison to like nursing education, which has seven dedicated journals to how do you educate nurses? I mean, and the size of the professions is certainly different, but it gives you a sense of how much work there is to do once we're clear about what evaluation requires. And so, um, so there's not really a good answer. There's what people have been doing and there's beginning to be some research. So if you look, um, the handout I gave you has a link to the special issue we did for evaluation program planning. Yeah, we'll share all that. that. Yep. Yeah, so that has some nice empirical articles in there about that. Um, the sort of the general feeling is that case-based research can be really helpful um, because, you know, practicing on examples is a way to learn without having to learn on clients. Mm -hmm. um, there's some fun stuff happening in Europe where people are using um, gaming. So they, they, but it's uh, physical, like you're all together. So that's been there, but they've been figuring out how to do it online to work through scenarios, you know, and, and make the choices and kind of see how those flow out. So I think that can be really helpful to be quite practical. Um, but there's huge amounts of, of literature and, and things that have already been done that are often not attended to because people come into evaluation from all different directions and they tend to think however they learn how to do evaluation is the best way because it works for them. And we don't have any way to sort of tell them, well, you actually need, you know, you need more of this than uh -huh. you came right. from this uh, space. You'll, you might need more of this to really be able to, to do evaluation well. And we don't have that capacity. So, it would be it would be helpful to have that because like someone yeah. like me coming in from psychology from counseling psychology in particular, um, you know I thought I I knew it all coming in, you know. Of course, that's yeah. everybody does. My, you know all the research that it, and stats right. class everything else we took. So I'm like, well, what else is there to learn? You know? Right. What could possibly be left? Yeah. And so you know, some decades go by, and I realize, oh, I need to relearn all this stuff, or I need to learn it, not relearn. Yeah. I need to learn it to begin with, and. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's fascinating. So yeah, having that um, I, th I think would be helpful. Yeah. So I'm working with a couple of researchers. One who's uh, Sarah Mason. She has an article in that um, special issue, and Lauren Wilskett, who's from um, South Africa. And we're trying. We're when what we started to discover when we were invest when we started this international society and started talking about what do we need to know mm -hmm. was how little we know about people who learn evaluation either form in formal or informal settings. So like at universities or through professional development. And so 
we're trialing something with the Australian Evaluation Society that's a self-assessment of competencies, but we've tacked on sort of the demographic stuff at the front end to be able to say, okay, if you're a psychologist and you come in to do evaluation, what are the, what are the competencies that you're already bringing to the table where you have expertise? Yeah. And what are the things you don't have? And to then be able to, for us to be able to sort of benchmark and say, look, if you're a psychologist, you probably need to add this, this, and this. But the missing piece is that central hub of what all evaluators should know. And so we're, we're in this, we created a, a little organization to do that for um, evaluation associations, basically internationally, so that we can get some data, but then they also get that as a tool to help them think about how to shape their professional development offerings. Yeah. That's so. neat. That's neat. Uh, so I uh, had yeah, to, to use it as a way to kind of sell, to build some uh, competencies and skills. Great. Um, so the resources that you'd recommend for people starting to just to, to, to learn uh, how to use, how to, uh, to learn about evaluation. So you're, we'll, we'll share those in the, in the, yep. in the uh, description down below in the, uh, whatever, however anyone's looking at this, if it's in YouTube, it'll be down below. Um, so what are, what are a few? Uh, we'll put a bunch in there, but uh, maybe like sure. the things that stand, up for, uh, stand out for you that you're like, wow, these yep. are, these are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So Jane Davidson is my go-to, like uh -huh. pretty much everything she does is awesome. Well, I, I mean, she's personally also quite nice, but her evaluation stuff is, is tremendous because she's been, she's a Scrivenite as I am a Scrivenite. I mean, the evaluation is really about whose, you know, pedigree do you fall under in terms of how do you think about evaluation? But because she, because she got trained by Michael and was thinking about evaluation and she's a practitioner, she just made that part of her practice and she's been doing it probably for 20 years now. Mm -hmm. So she's good at it. So um, I would recommend definitely that you um, people should invest. She's got a couple, two or three books, like some that are small and then her evaluation methodology basics is good. Although I think she's updating it. So maybe you want to wait to the new one. Um, Wolfgang Babel, you probably like, uh, you may, Americans yeah. may have heard of him, but he's a German guy. And it like, he's been probably 40 years in this space, but it's really been absent from kind of the US conversation because most of his stuff's in German. But now uh, internet translators are smarter. So you can just grab his stuff and translate it and be able to get the gist of it. But he's just a really good kind of plain speaker about how, how to do valuation and the reasoning process and, and that kind of stuff's really helpful, I think. Um, so I would definitely recommend having a look at that. I can send you, I don't have links to them, but I can send you the copies of a couple different um, like handbooks, just basic kind of evaluation handbooks that are really lovely. One's from New Zealand and one's one that Wolfgang worked on. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, I think it, the ANZIA, which is the, the Aotearoa New Zealand Evaluation Society, Jane w lived in New Zealand. Well, she's a New Zealander and she lived there for several years. And when they were sort of thinking about their competencies, so it's really worth looking at their competencies in comparison to the U.S. competencies to just see the difference because they put values and culture at the center of how they talk about evaluation and how they focus evaluation in New Zealand. And so it's, it's made for a quite different, um, you know, kind of thinking around it and practice around it in comparison to the U.S., I think. So it's definitely worth, they have a, a I think it's free, their evaluation um, journal. 
And so that they'll have, they have quite a bit of stuff in there that talks about things like synthesis and, you know, how do you practically do uh, evaluation and, and what does it look like if you have that? And it's just normal for them. So they don't, you know, they don't think of it as sort of, because it, it's just how they how they approach it is completely different. So it, it, totally worth investigating New Zealand. I think the other thing I'm going to look at my list that I would recommend is um oh Matea Rorda, who's one of my PhD students, did her project on how do you get to defensible criteria, like how do you do it? Like do people actually do it um, in their own practice? And she was looking at Australia and New Zealand. Um, public sector, so government, mm -hmm. um, she discovered not really. And so she created a matrix, which puts um, different normative perspectives. So like, I, oh, I never get these words right, but it's like the, like the consequences perspective, like the most good for the most people versus the, who do you have a duty to, you know, to take care of versus the rights of the participants versus the relationships or kind of the cultural aspects, um, which really has worked in a whole bunch of different contexts to help people get more clarity about what makes something good and have a really robust set of criteria that actually represents all the different stakeholders and not just the ones that are in charge or not just the evaluator. Um, so I, I've given you the link to download that handbook. Um, and Matea is usually happy to chat with people about that too. And I think her contact information is in there. Oh, that's great. But she's been, she's been using that. I think the latest thing I saw was, I can't remember where, Tunisia, maybe. Some, they're using it for an evaluation in Tunisia. I mean, it's been pretty wow. effective internationally mm -hmm. and also in kind of different, uh, different points in kind of the life of an evaluation or of a program. So it's, that's been a really fun development in the last couple of years. Um, Better Evaluation is an online resource. Totally recommend that. Um, that's, again, Jane Davidson and Patricia Rogers, who's Australian. Uh, there's a, we just did a session um, for IC, the International Society for Evaluation Education, with Vidya Shankar, who's just finished her PhD at Minnesota. And she talked about what is it, what, the beginning of the thing, which it's totally a lot worth watching, but the beginning of it, she talked about what's your, ori what's your origin story as an evaluator? Because that, that shapes what you think is important, what you think good looks like. And it isn't just about your sort of disciplinary training. Yeah, it's your whole, like it's the generations that stand behind you Right. All the things that your family went through, like it, it, so video talks about hers in the in that recording. But to be able to do that for yourself, I think, is really important because you have a, a sense of then what are you bringing to the table? And you can also be aware that ev everyone at the table has that same sort of depth of experience, not just their own, but the their, their parents and their parents, parents like did they immigrate or, and when, and under what circumstances and all those kinds of things make a difference to how you're, how you've been brought up to think about what's important. And when we're going to mess around in that space, it's really important for us to know kind of what our limitations are, where we're, where we're coming from to be able to have that conversation. So um, I would definitely recommend watching that uh, video. And if you can lay hands on our thesis, this is probably worth the read. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, and it, just go do it. Like we, 
when I teach in a master's program, and so we we make sure that when students are doing something in a subject or a course with us, that they're actually doing it. So they're they bring in something from their work, or they bring in something from their community to think about how. Okay, how would I design an evaluation of this thing that I care about? Um, or how would I design a research study to understand it, you know, that might underlie some evaluation questions? What, what are the things I would ask and who would I need to talk to? Um, and then our students do sort of a, it's not an internship exactly, but they, they just make their own projects for capstones. And so quite often they'll go do volunteer for an organization and do an evaluation or part of one, depending on what the organization wants. And I think that's really helpful. So part of this is not being shy, I suppose, about what you have to offer if you're somebody who's starting to explore these skills and going out and kind of just getting your hands dirty and getting involved in it, um, you know, and reading whatever you can is always helpful too. But I, I, and I wouldn't, you, one of the best things that I recommend to my students is to get involved with an evaluation association. Even if you're not going to be an evaluator, you know, like that's not your goal. There's so many helpful things that happen in evaluation societies, not just in terms of networking, but like the American Evaluation Association, I think it's like 200 bucks or something to be a student member. This is like stealing if you look at membership dues <laughs> for other evaluation societies and they're doing more and more stuff online. So that's mm -hmm. fantastic. So getting networked with some people who are interested in what you're interested in is always important and evaluation is not any different. How's that for all all long answer to your? No, that's great. That's comprehensive. Yeah. So, so what do you uh, evaluate? Evaluators they should be credentialed, licensed. What do you What do you think about that whole? Uh, sure. Discussion? Well, so there's a, a variety of perspectives on that. So you could accredit courses that teach people to do evaluation. You could credential uh, or license evaluators. Um, I think it's important. I mean, I think this work is important enough that it, it needs people who can, mm -hmm. who've demonstrated skill in that space, uh, particularly if we're going to say that it's about valuation and the, that skill is not common in terms of being explicit about how to do it and the reasoning behind it. Um, I mean, I, and I think part of the challenge here is most people who say they do evaluation don't know how to do that stuff. And so if we move to credentialing or licensing now, if we use that kind of definition, a lot of people would be left out. So then that's not going to happen <laughs> as we tend to operate as democracies in the um, in those evaluation associations or organizations. So I think it's going to take a long time. Uh, Canada got through it by just saying you had to have a certain percentage of competencies in each of the domains. Um, but I, from, I think for me, that's, it's not close enough to the task. So I, I would prefer something more like what ANZIA probably has, and then thinking about how do you credential around something that looks like that. And I don't know if they're moving in that direction or not, but part of it is understanding what's possible. Like what are the, what are the baby steps so not, license, not licensure, though, where like, you know, if you're not licensed as a physician, you can't practice medicine, attorney, yeah. psychologist, not to that level, but instead uh, cre creating a credential, some sort of credential. Yeah, well, and I think it's it's sort of up to, I think your credential is a great start and it might end up with licensing because it, fundamentally, I think, 
if you walk into a, a, a situation where people are asking you to evaluate and, and mm-hmm. you have, I mean, there's a difference between the way people treat doctors who are licensed and have demonstrated that they have that kind of strong background and the way they treat people who aren't in a licensed profession in terms of their expertise. And I feel like the content with which we are called to deal, uh, you know, like equity, um, sustainability, you know, climate change, environmental kinds of things. These are all really at the heart of what makes things good. And they've been absent for a really long time because the people who are making decisions didn't value them. And the evaluators either agreed or didn't have the sort of leverage that a profession would provide to say, no, no, if you hire an evaluator, what you get is this is a clear, is that we're gonna talk about criteria and we're gonna do it in this comprehensive way that actually ensures that we're attending to the, the rights of participants that we're intending to, we're attending to equity, that we're attending to cultural matters. So there's a difference in the sort of authority that you bring to a, a role that we don't have at the moment. And so a credentialing is a step to that. Licensing is probably the next level of authority, but I'm like, I don't anticipate this happening yeah. in my lifetime, <laughs> but I think we can, but I think we can work toward it. And part of it is helping people develop these skills that are about valuation and thinking about how to make that a normal part of practice. And then when that becomes more normalized, then I think the steps towards credentialing or licensure will be less threatening because right now it's more about what threatens people who are already practicing. Yeah, sure. Than it is about yeah. what's threatening to the, you know, to our clients or the world. So. The people who uh, take a evaluation, a class or a, uh, who get exposed to it in some way, how do you hope, how would you hope that they would use what, what they might learn about evaluation, you know, just like a class or something like that in sure. their future work, you, you know, given that they're, you know, different than what we were just talking about, they, right. they wouldn't be, you know, professional. Yes. They're not aspiring to spend their, the majority of their career. How, how, how could it help them? What would you hope that they take with them in their future, you know, practice? Sure. Well, I think the first thing is that definitions matter and they're yeah. really important. And if you don't ask about how things are defined, or why they're defined that way, then, then you can just be trapped in whatever the underlying assumptions are. And, and it will limit what you look at. Like we're human, so we have to limit things, but it's good to look at what those are first. So I think definitions matter and that's something you can always inquire about no matter whether you're an evaluator or not. And I think the, 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 the other question is what's important? So, you know, what, what, why are we doing this? What, what's the purpose of it? What are we hoping to gain? What does success look like? And, and who defines that? How do we make sure that, that those definitions, not only of the thing, but also of what makes that thing good, are not only described by whoever is the most powerful in the, in the room? So, so ask deeper questions then is what you're sort of- Yeah, well, a- I think be curious. So, you know, one of the, I, I, the example I wrote for you, which is probably a little bit controversial, is the idea of pro- the pro-life movement in the U.S., where life is defined as really just a, a fetus. And, and so then that limits all of the things that happen and all the things that are good 
about pro-life are really just about unborn babies who are like are precious don't get me wrong but but then it it cuts out all of the other kinds of life so it makes it okay for us to put immigrants in cages and separate people from their children like that definition has huge implications about what good looks like in terms of policy action and so if you're a person who has an awareness of that then I would hope that you would take away from something like this that the, the ability to ask questions like, so, okay, how are we defining life and why, what makes that important? And what about that is necessary and who are we trying to protect with that definition? And then what are the implications of that definition for what good looks like? And just like the thing I find most powerful about evaluation is the, the ability it gives us to ask those kinds of questions to not just accept the surface level yeah. presentation of things, but to, to, to query and say, okay, well, but why? And you like, you will probably be like, I have a colleague who is fundamentally oriented to asking those questions and it can be super irritating <laughs> when you're trying to get stuff done, but it's so important because if nobody asks those things, you just keep carrying on and you you could be unintentionally doing harm even when you mean to be doing good. And so I think that's, that's what I would encourage people to take away is that um, curiosity, because if it's just curiosity and it's not judgmental, then people can open up and talk about it. But to, to be pointed in your curiosity about what, what, how are we defining things and, and how are we defining what then makes them good? It, it seems like akin to like first principles thinking almost. Say more. Um, uh, well, uh, just uh, looking, starting, uh, trying to question the the fundamental assumptions and understand things in the more in their most basic form, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so it's that same kind of thing, you know, in terms of like trying to problem solve or uh, you know sometimes it's helpful not to assume the constraints that are being uh, that are implicit in the, the the problem that's posed, but to to back off it a little bit and look to see, okay, what are these assumptions, and can mm -hmm. can we modify or tailor, you know, change those assumptions, or or uh, are they valid assumptions, right? right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, I think it comes up like the Elon Musk kind of uh, first principles thinking. A lot of people in tech talk about that, um, you know, like the uh, the you know creating a a battery that uh, can be more efficient or putting a uh, you know, putting, uh, uh, you know, getting uh, rockets, uh, a, a rocket program that's affordable, um, in developing that, like what they did with SpaceX, so involves sort of pr first principles thinking, like not, you know, assuming that, um, well, the rockets can't be reused, um, you know, that there's, that they have to be, you know, landed in a certain way. I mean, a lot of, a lot of those kind of things. And I think, what you're talking about the the questioning is is the part that makes it akin or similar um you know just that fundamental thing which um is 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 so can be so hard to do yes well and a lot of times i think programs get started because somebody has an idea of jane davidson makes a distinction between performance needs and treatment needs um, so what, what's the thing you want somebody to be able to do or to have, and then there's different pathways, probably different treatments that might get you to that performance need. But quite often 
people start with a, a treatment need because it's the thing they like to do and they don't look at what, what's the performance need. And I think that's the, another place where we can ask questions. Like when we're asking about what does good look like? Like what, what's the performance that we want to have and how will this thing get us there? And what does the research tell us about how other people have tried it already <laughs> and the results they got, like what are the odds that we're going to be successful here? Cause I think, that, that sort of querying that evaluation brings and the, the values question lets you look at the different kinds of interventions and say, okay, well, what did they think was important here? And how can, you know, how does that relate to what we think is important and how we might design an intervention or think about evaluating an intervention from that space? So um, there's lots of good habits, I suppose, that evaluation can help you develop. And uh, I, every organization needs people who ask those questions. Asking good questions, sort of that's where, yeah. yeah. That's a recurrent theme I think we hear in evaluation in the literature, right? Um, so the other lessons from the social sciences research literature, I've asked, I asked this a lot to people because I'm interested in um, how you might incorporate some of what we know from the social sciences research literature into our evaluation work mm -hmm. or your evaluation work in particular, what are, yeah, yeah. are there, are there some, you know, different uh, theories or, or different uh, approaches that you, you've, you've um, figured out, well, yeah, this makes sense to, uh, yeah. to be informed by in terms of how I work and how I do evaluation. Yeah. yeah. I just looked at my notes. There's one more thing I want to say about the previous question. Is oh yeah. Yeah. Good. So um, two things. I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, criteria are always present. So if you're if you're a person who's not going to do evaluation as your job, but you're just average Joe person, not that anybody's average, but you know what I mean. Um, keep in mind that there's always criteria, like there are always values underlying what's happening. And you can you can sort of nose those out with your questions. And it, it's important, like that's worth time worth spending, um, which sort of goes to that question thing. But also, Take what you learn from whatever happens in your coursework about what good evaluation looks like and carry that out into the world. Like be a person who understands what good evaluation looks like and advocate for it instead of just letting people say whatever they're doing is evaluation. You know, be a critical, mm -hmm. if you're going to be a doer, be a critical consumer in, in the best possible way. Because I think that's part of how we also, um, evaluation is a really demand driven offering. And so if people are demanding things where they're expecting to talk about criteria and they're expecting to talk about values and they're expecting that valuation aspect, then the, the field will shift to deliver it because that's how it works, it seems like. So, right, so social science, that was your... Yes, well, I, um, yeah, I appreciate you making that good point, so yeah. Yeah, um, so I, I think... There, of course, there's heaps of stuff from social sciences that we use all the time. But what I would suggest is there's like heaps of stuff from other places that are also really important. So evaluation is a transdiscipline, which means everybody uses it. Like all the different kind of disciplines use evaluation to understand what good looks like in their right. field. So if you think of peer review, that's an evaluative process that everybody uses. But it also means that they have things to contribute to us. So if we look at economics, like all kinds of stuff from that field can be really helpful. And what, but they tend to think that they're doing evaluation, right? Like cost benefit is evaluation, but it isn't. 
but it's because they've defined it within their profession. But it doesn't mean that that's not actually really important for people who are doing evaluation to understand. So to be able to do a cost feasibility analysis or to understand what cost benefits is, is actually, you know, like people care about what money gets spent on. So it's, mm-hmm. I think, really important for evaluators to be able to, to grasp that. And, you know, like there's stuff from hard science and um, from communications. If you look at the competencies and you match them to other disciplines, most of them don't have anything to do with what we might teach and, and are also outside of, of social science research. So if we're gonna really be good at what we say is necessary for evaluation in terms of the competency list, then we need to do some homework about what other fields have to contribute that we can build on rather than building our own stuff. But you know, like there's huge amounts of stuff about interpersonal, um, you know, that's a domain in almost everybody's competency set. There's people that do that. a living and I've been researching it for years. So it would be foolish of us to not access those kinds of things to help us in thinking about what does good look like for us in evaluation that builds on what's been already done in those other professions. So communication and and, uh, interpersonal uh, working on teams. And then of course we've seen an evaluation data visualization brought in and that's very much uh, something that's been uh, developed within evaluation, but it certainly uh, started outside of, evalu- of evaluation yeah. discipline, right? Yeah. Well, the evaluators have a, those of us who I think are, this is a broad and perhaps inappropriate generalization, but I think evaluators, people who end up doing evaluation for the most part of their living, if you like, are practical people who, who grab sort of whatever tools are at hand and, and make it work to do the task. And so that, which is great. Like evaluators are the most adaptable, I think, and sort of, I mean, there's a reason I hang out with people who do evaluation, like, but there's also, oh, there's a, but there's a detriment to thinking that evaluation is, is whatever your discipline said it was, like wherever you came from and something that gets lost then in terms of being able to access, um, evaluation kind of the history of it and the literature of it but there's also a sort of do-it-yourself attitude like I can just figure out how to do this instead of saying look there's a huge body of knowledge that we could be building on to do this instead so and I also think one of the real challenges is there's a body of literature, but it's not accessible to most people because it's behind paywalls and then, you know, they're not necessarily affiliated with universities or the kinds of libraries that would give them access to it. So people have to choose what they're going to subscribe to, if you like, mm-hmm. and to, to be able to build their skill set or their knowledge base. And so they'll, they'll probably go back to their own discipline, which means then we miss out on all the other things that the literature in other places has to offer making those connections is sort of like one of the basic things in the creative process, right? Taking these right. things, bringing them together in a new way is uh, okay. being an evaluator. It's helpful to be flexible. Yes. It's essential. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, in what ways, uh, if at all, can valuation be used to improve the world? Um, that's a great question. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, this is our discussion. I think a lot, a lot of us are talking about or thinking about right in the last uh, some 
certainly the last year, maybe more, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that's been a claim, you know, that evaluation is something that makes the world a better place. It's been a claim that's been made since the 60s, probably. And there's a, a Pawson, I think it's Pawson and Tilly's, like the beginning of their 2013 book where they, they look at that, like, okay, so what can we say about whether or not this is true that evaluation actually made the world a better place? And they're like, well, pretty much we can't. Like, it's manifestly obvious that that hasn't happened. And part of it, I think, and maybe this is just me being naively hopeful, is that we, can, we haven't attended to criteria. You know, if if the decisions get made on what's about what's important and those are driving the kinds of programs that get created and those are driving the way we understand whether or not something's good, if you're not attending to things like equity and if you're not attending to things like sustainability, then the then you can't you can't fundamentally make the world better, I think. So it's 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 more than just culturally responsive and it's more than just kind of a social justice lens it's looking at fundamentally what's driving what are the values that are driving the activity and and are those comprehensive enough or or have they been limited in some way that means that there's some pretty significant things that are getting neglected so and it's also that the definitions thing which we talked about earlier you know if if someone's not defined as human yeah. then they don't, you know, then they don't have rights and they don't, then equity is not a concern. And so it, part of it's just thinking about all the things we've talked about. So what, what, who, who's being excluded by our definitions and who's being um, marginalized or underserved or, or in fact harmed by programs we're creating when we don't attend to what, what good actually looks like for everybody that's involved. So yeah. I think- That gets reflected back into the criteria then, into to the, the ones we suggest, uh, select, that we yeah. emphasize, we pay attention to, and the ones that we neglect. That's right. Well, or wh whether they're done at all. I mean, it, you know, when you have a, a group of people who for years have done evaluation without any values associated, then you've just accepted the, the values of, the implicit values of the program. Mm -hmm. which which may or may not be acceptable. You know, there, um, the black, is it black? I think it's called black lining is the practice by which, you know, people were basically denied housing in the US in different areas because of, of their racial profile. Mm -hmm. And that was okay as a policy because, you know, they didn't really count as people. So it's, that's the kind of stuff like, oh my gosh, I was watch I was did some indigenous training here a couple of weeks ago. They showed this really lovely video that was also terrifying about Aboriginal kids who'd been taken away from their families in like the sixties, probably forties. Mm, don't quote me on that number, but like, you know, in, in the early years of, of Australia, and, and placed with this wealthy white family, I think here in Melbourne. And so that like the video is like shocking. And it's, you know, like here are these little Aboriginal girls who are dressed up now like little white girls and learning to read. And the, and the language around it was, we've saved these children from people who didn't love them, you know, and now they're gonna have this, this great life. But in fact, they're like, now there's 
Australia is just starting to deal with the intergenerational trauma that that separation caused, and that's happening in the States as well. But the values of that, of what was good about that program to the people that organized it was the, the whitening of those little Aboriginal girls. And, and we, can, we can be doing that if we're not attending to the values and the definitions behind what we do. And like that to me is the most terrifying idea that we would, we would unwittingly support programs with our, with our evaluations of, and saying that things are good or just saying that things have made, you know, a difference in a research sense that, that don't attend to really significant issues like that because we're too narrowly focused on whether or not the p-value changed. Right. Can you think of some things that like in 20 years, 30 years, we'll look back on things that we're doing now and then we'll be like, cannot play the equivalent of that equivalent of. Oh my God, I don't know. I feel like, um, you know, there's so many good hearted people in, in the evaluation space who are trying to make sure that that doesn't happen. But I feel like we learn it by looking back and saying, Oh, (laughs) you know, and then trying to bring that lens to now and saying that. So I, you know, I feel like so much of what's happening in the U S now with the, um, Black Lives Matter and the protests and the the beginning to acknowledge that there's actually systemic issues, you know, like that there's really for a long time been a, a systemic, you know, policies and stuff in the US that have made it much harder for an African American person or an African American family to build equity, um, to access education that was of high quality. Like there's just a, it, that's all kind of being revealed now or being discussed a bit more openly. And, and I think we're going to look back on this and say, how did we not see that, you know, sooner? Why did it take us so long to be able to realize that, you know, that actually black lives do matter. And, and if we have criteria that attend to that, then our work will look different as evaluators. What you're talking about is not universally acknowledged in the United States. I know. Right. So I guess it depends who the we is reflecting that is in the 20, the 20, right. but I think that part of our job is to acknowledge that difference and to be able to say, you know, like if you're a person in that, in an organization where you've got that, and this is so hard in the U S like I have family members who are Trump supporters and I have family members who are not. And the, the conversation about what are the values inherent in those stances mm-hmm. I think is really important and and being able to be curious and talk about that is different than saying you're just wrong <laughs> what you know which is sort of the default when something seems so outside of the values that you hold personally but um yeah i think it's a real challenge and i hope i really hope 20 years from now the states will look back and be like that was a huge thing that helped us rectify you know years of embedded racism in our policies but you know maybe we'll look back 20 years from now and say oh well we should have had more racist policies (laughs) or whatever you know like who knows which direction it will go i feel like oh things in the u.s are (laughs) precarious but i you know i guess for my orientation like humans are important and the planet's important and and thinking about how do we how do we work as individuals whether we're evaluators or not to surface the values that are 
that people have kind of operating and to be able to talk about those and think about how they influence what we do is really important. So the, uh, the, the article, the, the whole elephant uh, article yeah. appealed to me. One of the reasons was because of the, the story, right? That uh, comes from, I, it's, it, I've heard about it attributed to the, the Buddhist tradition or Hindu tradition or uh, various uh, Eastern traditions about the nature of, under, of, of clearly seeing reality and how we, uh, all of us uh, see it a little bit differently or very differently yeah. as it were. So I'm wondering along the same lines then, uh, we're, we're looking right now, a group of us, and I've been thinking about this for a while, we're working on a paper on this, but what, I've been thinking about this for a while, my own practice and looking at other disciplines how they bring mindfulness into a mindfulness practice, formal, informal, from, from sitting meditation to just questions, reflective questions, right? As we see like in medicine with the, mm -hmm. uh, Ronald Epstein and others and his colleagues, there's many of them. Um, so do you, uh, how, how can mindfulness uh, or can it, I should say, uh, inform evaluation? Can it, can it help our, our, our work in some way? Um, can it make it better? Yes, I think so. It's uh, anything that helps you as a person understand that you're bringing your own lenses to the ways that you interact with people, I think can only be helpful. So one of the things I think that's really challenging about evaluation is you're always working with people that have a variety of different world views like they're holding on to different parts of the elephant even if it's not about evaluation it's about whatever you're talking about and though everybody will have a different piece of of that kind of what reality looks like and the people who can step back and see the bigger picture are the people that help not only navigate kind of the interpersonal conflicts that arise from people who have different worldviews, you know, for the, they're holding different, you feed the, like that story is a fight. Like all of those people are like, no, no, the elephant is a rope or no, no, it's a tree trunk or it's, a, you know, and they're all convinced. And so the ability to be able to step back from that and see that people have different perspectives and understand that you have your own that you're bringing to it, I think is at the heart of, how we are able to do evaluation work or how we're able to ask those questions. And mindfulness is a great pathway to that because it helps you kind of detach, I suppose, from, from the things that can be really consuming and be able to have kind of that broader perspective about how, how we're connected to each other and how, um, the, how the present moment can, can be painful, but it doesn't last forever. And there's lots of great stuff I think in meditation that can be really important and I, the other thing that I've included for you in the uh, handout was so a reference to Bowen family systems theory which I've been sort of dabbling in for a long time now and and that goes back to that sort of origin story too because I think the the connection for me between mindfulness and understanding your origins is really important because all of the stuff I'm carrying around much of it is not mine <laughs> you know it was passed down to me from generations of people uh you know trying to do the best they can and and the convictions 
that came with that, you know, that helped them to survive or that, or the experience I had and the ways that I adapted that helped me survive whatever um, experiences I might've had. And so if you can have, gets, what I find when I can have some perspective about how those generations behind me have shaped me, how my own experiences shape me and how, how I'm looking at the world and understand that that's just one, one way of seeing, it makes me more open to the possibilities that other people might be right. And that, uh, or, or there, there are things that they are experiencing that are different than me and to be more curious about what do those mean and how do we, how do we interact with each other to solve whatever problem we're you say it's important for that to, for us as evaluators to have a reflective practice. Yeah. Uh, do we really teach it though? How to do that? That's a great question, and I don't think we do. I try. I mean, I we do that in in the courses that I teach. So I, you know, I'm asking them. Okay, well, what do, what are you bringing to the table to be able uh -huh. to do this evaluation, or how can you design something that will help you learn something you don't know how to do? But I, we don't. I don't do nearly enough of it. I don't think. Um, one of the things I thought was really striking about Vidya's um, presentation a couple of weeks ago was she said, if, if you don't, if we don't do reflective practice, like everything, you know, there's all, all that she said this much better than I'm going to, but it's basically, if we don't do reflective practice, it's going to cost somebody else. Oh, okay. So, you know, like it's, a, that's a cost you're passing on to someone else because you didn't do the work to understand your own self and how that was going to impact something or your own practice and how that could have been improved. And so uh, that's the worst kind of, of costs. <laughs> Those are the worst costs, the ones that are. That's right. And, and, but if we don't, I'm, I never thought of it in that way, which is why I found it quite powerful to think about, okay, our lack of reflection actually does have implications for, for the people that we work with or the people that we're meaning to serve if we're doing evaluation or for working in, you know, service professions. So it's a, uh, I thought it was a good challenge and I, I, it made me grateful for the opportunities I've had to be able to be reflective um, and to just really think about how important that is to incorporate in my practice and to think more about how we can do it in our teaching here. Yeah, you've mentioned uh, several books that you really like. Yes. Um, so <clears throat> I, I like to ask this question. I, I've, I didn't come up with it, but, uh, I, I like to hear what, what happens is, uh, ends up just adding to my reading list. Um, oh, but, now that's fun. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, but, uh, is there a book that you, it could be for, uh, you know, for anyone really, but is there a book that you really like that you, you recommend for others, you buy for others, you find yourself buying for others or sure. talking to others about, it could be just lately, or it could be. Yeah, I, I know it's kind of, it depends who, I know, but. Right, yeah, no, there's so many. It usually depends on what we're talking about in the moment. Okay. So <clears throat> I will give you a few. Or maybe so, that's made a huge influence on you. Yeah, or yeah, it could be from that perspective though, what's, what's really, mm -hmm. yeah, but I, I, it sounds like you had some in mind, so I don't want to cut you there's, off. Yeah, there's um, Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy wrote two books One's called How the Way We Talk Can Change the Way We Work. And then the follow-up book to that was Immunity to Change. And that book talks about how even when we, we really mean to do something different and we continue to not do the different thing that would be good for us, it kind of helps unpack what's happening like psychologically 
in there. I read that uh, when I was at seminary during a uh, Master of Divinity, and it was transforming because it did like it was so helpful. So I would totally recommend either of those. They're both super geniuses, Harvard professors. Um, the Body Keeps the Score is one that I've just read, which is about trauma. And yeah. I think um, that's something we, we didn't talk about in terms of evaluation, but I think that's something evaluators deal with. The title and, tells you everything you need to know about that. <laughs> that's right, because you're, it does, your body. So um, that's actually just was really helpful for me personally. And I've, I think I've bought that for at least two other people. <laughs> The immunity to change book two. Um, James, Jane Davidson's evaluation methodology basics. Like anybody who says, I'm interested in evaluation, but I don't want to study it. And I say, read Jane's book. So um, I definitely recommend that. Um, there's a Mar Marty Heifetz, who's also a Harvard prof, does a bunch of stuff on adaptive leadership, which I have found to be really helpful in terms of that. How do you get the bigger perspective? Because that he talks about adaptive leaders are on the dance floor and on the balcony. So you have to kind of go back and forth um, between those two perspectives to be able to be a good leader. And he was the keynote, one of the keynotes at the, at AEA last year. And it was great. Like so much of the ideas about adaptive leadership, I think translate to evaluation. So it's really good. These are all not evaluation reads, but you know, no, you can no, read them That's great. I think that's, that's even more helpful. Yeah. How do people stay in touch with you and uh, what's the best way to kind of follow what you're doing and kind of get a, yep. I'm on research gate and I'm on, there's some other one that's like that. I can't remember the name of where like, that's typically where I post. Like if I've got a preprint of an article or something, I'll post it there. And so you can get it. I don't have a webpage because I'm lazy and I don't tweet for the same reason, although I have a Twitter handle. <laughs> you can always message me on LinkedIn and my email is on the list and I'm happy for you to share that. So, I, you know, I'm pretty mm -hmm. attentive you, to my are you, are you more active on LinkedIn or you or once in a while or just kind of like once in a while? I'm an occasional LinkedIner, you know, maybe once a week. But I think it appears in my inbox if someone messages me. So I'll get it if you talk right. to me there. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this conversation, this time here. I mean, I, it's uh, flown by and uh, we- <laughs> I watched it get darker and darker. Yeah, yeah. It's getting brighter there and darker here. <laughs> it's one of the, the special effects of- Yes. Of the telecommunications or- uh, Yes, Yeah. But thank you very much. Really um, very insightful and uh, appreciate the, you know, the conversation and your, your um, ideas. A lot for me to think about. And um, thanks so much. Yes, thanks for that invitation. It was delightful. Cool. Thanks a lot. You betcha.